Welcome to the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast, where we let you in on the secrets commercial landlords would prefer you not know. Brought to you by our friends at Riata Commercial Realty, Inc. We exclusively represent users of office and warehouse properties. Landlords have representation. Do you? Today's podcast is interesting to me, and let me tell you why. There was a survey done of CEO business owners and what were the most important things to them in selecting new office space. Can you guess what it was? I think I can, but let's not give it away too soon. Okay. What CEOs and business owners care about most when deciding on a location? Go. Wow. Um, <laughs> boy, you know what? I, I'm, the first thing I'm going to answer that with is it depends on who you ask. That's always, uh, it depends is the key word. <laughs> it's always the key word. I don't care what industry you're talking about. It, de- it depends is always your best answer. But, um, but you know, every CEO uh, has a different perspective, of course, and she may have uh, a greater focus on one thing versus another based on who their customer base is, their employee base, where they are in the country, what industry they're in. There's all kinds of things. But, um, you know, what I'm going to, my answer is going to be what I think I hear most often. And, you know, I'm saying I think I hear because I can, you know, potentially have missed it in a couple of cases. But um, I would say, in my opinion, the number one thing that I hear from CEOs and clients as to what is most important to them is a space image that is most consistent with the image and values that the company wants to project and project to whom again, that, that varies. Uh, Sometimes it may be, you know, they want to project a certain image to clients or to investors or to employees. And that could even change over time. You know, if they're a startup, they may want to project an image of frugality as uh, to their investors. So their investors mm-hmm. are the most important one right then. But then it's, you know, right, they're, they're getting things up and running. They get their software built. Now they're mo- most focused on uh, the image to employees because they're trying to attract those people. Later on, if, they have a, uh, if somebody has a business where it's um, really important that they look good to the clients, then, you know, that's who they're most focused on. Well, like take Riata, for example, we have a long bar, sawdust and peanut shells on the floor with a jukebox in the corner, <laughs> but that's the image we like to present and just, it's, it's not for everybody. Just in case the dance breaks out. <laughs> <laughs> Which has been known, in the corner. <laughs> it has no, been known to happen. Well, um, tell, tell, a, there's one particular story I like that you were just telling the other day about a client who officed with some other people. Yes. And they wanted to move. And so tell the concerns. It was a partnership, two friends of ours that had a a CPA financial firm. And one felt one way and one felt another. And I thought it was interesting. So um, it was actually our very first client when we started Riata. 
And, uh, and the client was actually a financial advisory firm, um, wealth advisory firm, but they shared space with a CPA firm. Okay. And so the wealth advisory firm, uh, you know, catered to people with a little cash and who were a little more used to the finer things in life. And they were in a building that was owned by a bank and the bank was leasing the excess space that they didn't use. So it wasn't the kind of thing where they were trying to maximize the cash flow of the building and maximize the value of the building, this kind of thing. They were just trying to get a little cash flow on space that wasn't, um, wasn't in use. So they didn't really pay attention to the building the way an investor uh, owner would. Um, and so they weren't maintaining the building the way they wanted to. And this uh, wealth advisory firm was uh, not comfortable sending their clients to the restrooms because the restrooms weren't being maintained well. So they wanted to move out of the building. The CPA practice that they shared space with, on the other hand, was more concerned about not, a, not projecting an image that was too nice for fear clients would say, well, man, they must be overcharging us for our you know, tax returns uh, because they're in this really, really nice space. And, uh, and so we moved the wealth advisory firm to a much nicer building where they did maintain the restrooms. <laughs> And the CPAs are still in the same building today, 18 years later. And, um, and everybody's it, doing great. But I think yeah. the important part of that story is they each knew their clientele and what was important to them. And obviously, they've both grown and done well. And I think that's very important. And what's interesting to me is that even within the same industry, there is a huge range of uh, opinion on, on what people should pay what their image is. I mean, we, we, we use, or we, we represent and serve a lot of uh, wealth advisory and financial services firms. And uh, I was in one of those yesterday with a client and they have really, really nice space in a really nice building. They're up on the 18th floor. They've got all this, you know, glass and everything's really high end and their, their space looks south toward downtown Dallas. It's got a fantastic view of the skyline of Dallas, and they're growing. So we're talking to them about expanding their space, but they said, now, I know they have space in this building on the 10th floor, but that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a downgrade. I don't want to go down to the 10th <laughs> floor, and, and we've got to have this south view because we want that view of downtown. We don't want to have a view of you know, going north where it's just not as interesting. The Costco on Forest Lane. But we also have wealth advisory clients that are in very inexpensive buildings in a city to be unnamed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're paying half of what the previous one is. And, you know, because they don't feel the need for that for whatever reason. Maybe they're at a different um uh, you know, their clients are at a different uh, point in their total wealth. So, you know, if you're worth only $2 million, uh, you're not expecting the same thing as if you own, you have 20 million or $200 million. So it varies quite a lot, but you know what we, we, uh, we've, so we've, we've talked a lot about sort of the, what I'll call the scale of opulence versus frugality. Uh, so that's a definitely a big, a big issue, but that image can mean other things. I mean, health consciousness, for example, you know, there's this thing called leads, um, leadership and energy efficiency design. And um, so there are companies that will only consider a building that is leads gold or leads silver, or whatever, because there's different levels of 
leads um, certification, I guess is the way to say it. And so they want their employees to know that they're really conscious or sometimes even their customers. Uh, another image issue is going to be um, ease of access. Uh, you know, if you're that wealth advisor again, and you're serving an elderly population or you're a, a medical, well, like we had a client one time that was a uh, elder care attorney. So she is focused on serving elderly people and the family members who are helping elderly family members. So having ease of access, being able to get out of their car, walk straight in with a very easy, short walk, uh, making sure that it's accessible for wheelchair. Those things are incredibly important because if they were going to uh, make it difficult on their client, what does that say? If, if they don't have ADA access, um, that's going to send a message to their client that's not, uh, that's not good. Uh, we have other clients that do um, therapy services for children with disabilities. And what's interesting about that is the, the typical... Uh, look or typical profile, I, I should say, of one of their clients is a child with a disability, and the mother is typically the person bringing the child to therapy, and they typically are bringing another child, at least one, with them, either an older child or a younger child. So often there's going to be a stroller involved, there might be a wheelchair involved. So they've been really specific that we will only f make our clients go through one door to get into our space. Right. We're not going to make them go into an a, into a main lobby of a building that requires one door and then go into our space, which is a second door. We're not going to make them go up in an elevator. Well, and there's two reasons for that. <clears throat> not just ease of access, but a lot of times those children that are being treated need to have a very clean simple modified space yeah. that doesn't trigger any of the issues they may be dealing with so yeah. it's all that has to be considered yeah uncomplicated so anyway so all of that i'm kind of lumping into space image yeah uh, as the category of what i hear from clients and, and ceos um, and number two i well, like this one because to me this is also your client but that's probably because i run and manage a brokerage. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The, um, so the second reason CEOs really are focused on uh, or how they make a decision on what space to go to is how to, how to attract and retain employees. And, um, and, and so that, that's more the case today than it ever has been. Mm -hmm. Post, it was true previously before COVID, but since COVID has become even more important. Because What's an employee's market? Well, it's an employee's market and, and people are trying to get their employees to come back to the office. And, um, and a lot of people say, Hey, it's a lot, we're getting just, we're just as productive with people working from home as coming to the office. And that's probably true in some cases. I'm hearing from a lot of people that that is not the case. So, you know, again, one size doesn't fit all. So that's, that's true with some, it's not true with others. Even if they have a work from home model, but they want employees to come into the office on a regular basis for just meetings once a week or two times a week, whatever. Um, they still want to make sure they have a nice place. And this is really why right now, when you look at the office market, the really high-end class A buildings are doing really well because a lot of companies that are shrinking their size because they are implementing a hybrid workforce model, 
are upgrading their space because they're, hey, I'm only going to lease 20% of the amount of space I previously mm-hmm. leased. I'm going to pay up for this stuff, make it really nice so that when people come, you know, employees come to the office, it's a really good experience for them. Yeah. And number and, three? Well, actually, let me say one other thing. Didn't finish number two? <laughs> well, I, I just had another thought. I'm like Columbo here. Um, so long, you know, long ago, a few years ago, several years ago, I, I had several times where a client would say, I want to be in a really high-end class A building. And my initial response at that point was, oh, you must have a lot of uh, clients that come to the office that you need to impress. And I was surprised when the answer was, we don't have any clients coming to the office. And I was like, well, why would you spend so much money on the building on the rent, you know, you can go spend $40 a square foot on the building when I could show you a really nice building for 20 or $25 a square foot. Why would you do that? And the answer was, that's what I have to have to attract the kind of employee I want. That was Mm pre-COVID. So, you know, this is, this is not just a recent phenomenon, but I do think it's uh, much more so now. Yeah. More widespread. Okay. Number three is location, location, location. Yeah. And location is, uh, it is interesting because, you know, we're talking the whole category of this, uh, the whole topic of our talk today is, you know, how does the CEO make a decision on location? So to say location as one of the options seems a little bit crazy, but it's location relative to something else that's important here. So relative to where their clients are located, I want to be close to my clients. Uh, I want to be close to my employees. I want to be close to the operations. Like, uh, you know, we have a, um, a manufacturing facility, but we need a separate office, but we want that to be close to the operations perhaps. Um, and, you know, a fourth one of these is where does the CEO live? If he or she lives in a certain spot, you know, CEOs aren't known to want to waste their time in the vehicle on a long commute in many cases. So minimizing the commute from, um, from home is a big deal. But the other issue here, and, and when I said operations, I mean, uh, what about throughout the day? So, you know, let's say you have a, uh, a business where you have a lot of salespeople coming and going throughout the day, or a lot of service people. Let's say you run a copy or repair service, and your people are coming and going, their techs are coming and going all day long. Um, so you want to minimize how far they're going to have to drive to get to their clients. Well, one that you're working on right now that I think is, uh, it, it warms my heart is um, a, a institute that takes care of people that have brain injuries mm. and they can be handicapped. Uh, they can look totally fine, just like what you and I do. And yet they have some cognitive issues, but why are you laughing? Because I'm thinking, I'm glad to hear that you think I look totally fine. <laughs> I said you or I, but uh, one of their primary considerations is they have to be near public transport. Yeah. And I love that because a lot of their people can't drive and they have to come in through some kind of rail system. And so they don't want theirs. They don't want their location further than a block from reliable, big, major transport system. And I, I love that. I, yeah, I, I think, think that's neat. It's interesting because we looked at a space not too long ago that was like on a, on a road where there was a bus stop. So there's a bus stop right in front of the development and they would have been in the second building 
in the development close closest to that bus stop. So everything cool, everything's good, right? Well, then something happened. The landlord had some change of heart or something, and and it doesn't look like they were going to be able to go in that space. But the landlord had another space within the same development, but it was three buildings away. So now all of a sudden you're in the same development. Bus stop hasn't moved, but where you are relative to that bus stop has now gone from 500 yards to, you know, half a mile almost mm-hmm. a third, I think three tenths of a mile. And it was just like, you know, if, if we have one of our clients come in here by bus and they have difficulty walking or they're in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. that's just too far. And especially in July and August when it's yeah. over hundred degrees, I don't want them having to do that. So yeah, the, the location is pretty interesting. You know, one of the things we recommend that clients do is that they give us the the addresses of their, whatever their constituency that they're trying to stay within proximity of. So if that's all their employees, if that's all their clients, if that's whatever. Vendors that come and go. Yeah. Whatever it is, give us all those uh, because, and I've told this story before, but we had a, a client, somebody we knew very, very well, and he was desperately wanting to get closer to the house with the office, but he was so worried about the image what it would look like to be moving closer to the CEO's office. Uh, I mean, home. And, um, and I kept asking for those employee addresses and he kept delaying. But when he finally gave them to me, I handed it to him and just was laughing at him because his house was immediately in the perfect dead center of the scatter of where all of his employees left or lived. And I said, you would be doing your employees a favor if you you'd move your office to your house. And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and how's that and for a commute? <laughs> it didn't, it didn't happen for other reasons. He ended up merging his company into a larger company, et cetera. But, but it was pretty funny. Uh, another example of this was we had a, uh, a tenant that was back when I was a landlord that was trying to lease in one of our buildings, but we were competing with another building and it turned out that they did a lot of daily in and out, in and out. And, that we, they made the mistake of telling us, us being the landlord at the time, that if they were to move to the other building, they would have to hire an extra employee to cover all the work because of the amount of time it took to get from the parking space up to their, their suite and back. And our building did not have that problem. So we knew that as long as our proposal was less than the annual salary and benefits of one extra person, we had the deal. And, yeah. uh, and we did, we did get that deal. And, uh, so yeah, location, everybody says location, location, but it's ro- location relative to something. Right. What, what's the, the deciding matters. factor? Yeah. Okay. And number four is encourage and support productivity back to my hardwood floors, sawdust and peanut shells, <laughs> but that's that that, just us. I don't know that that's going to be the productive part. It may be the <laughs> motivational part. And in the encouragement part, um, yeah, productivity, this is really important because when you choose a, and when we say choose a location, we're not just saying this, you know, the, the, where you put the dot on the map, we're talking about how do you choose which property you go to. Mm-hmm. And so encouraging the right productivity is important. Like in that last example, I just gave you, um, the productivity was an issue because, for the number of people, I think they had 10 people that were coming and going all day, running all their um, service calls. Um, so they were being very productive, but 
our building was more productive because they could do that with 10 people. The other building was going to require 11 people. And so that building was less productive for them, less efficient, because they weren't going to be able to do it as cost effectively and, uh, and with as, as fewer resources. So uh, a lot of times this is a big issue, especially when it comes to industrial properties. So for example, um, whenever we're dealing with an industrial client, we always ask a bunch of questions. How much power do you need? How many you know, dock doors do you need? Do those dock doors need to be dock high or grade level, meaning street level? Um, what kind of clear height do you need? Um, do you need three what kind phase of parking? Power? Overnight parking, parking you need. Yeah. I mean, how many trucks can you park? Do you need a fenced yard? Um, I mean, there's the, the number of issues goes on and on and on. And um, we actually had a client one time that said, I, I must have dock high. Um, I'm sorry, I have to have grade level um, space with an overhead door because um, I'm sorry, I'm screwing this up terribly. They had to have dock <laughs> Take high. Take two? <laughs> they had to have dock high because um, if they didn't have dock high, then they had to have all their deliveries with a truck that has a Tommy lift, that thing that goes up and down at the back. And that cost them an extra $150 per delivery oh, from wow. whoever, whoever delivered to them. Oh, wow. So they on average got 10 deliveries a week. So if they did not have a dock high, that was going to cost them an extra $1,500 a week or $6,000 a month. And so they were able to pay up on the rent uh, for a dock high space and still save money because of that. Um, same thing with the clear height, you know, depending on how the operations of the company works, let's just say they're a warehousing operation where they bring in product and they, you know, they break it down and then repackage it or, you know, send it out in smaller lots to their clients, their customers. Well, if you can stack stuff, the higher you can stack stuff, the more efficiency you get. So if you have a 24 foot clear um, space and you want to stack five foot pallets, four high, well, five foot times four is 20 plus you have to have room in between. Well, 24 is not a big, not a high enough space because you also have to leave 18 inches from the, the top for the fire to code the, to the <clears throat> ceiling. And, uh, and so instead of a 24 foot space, now you're going to have a 26 or 28 foot space. Well, what if you go all the way to 30 and now you can stack at five high? Well, the, the increase in productivity by having that, more, that much more cubic space to manage your products is going to be greater than the incremental cost of leasing a 30-foot space versus a 24 or 26 or 28-foot space. So that's what we talk about, why we talk about productivity. You know, it's real estate, I tell clients all the time, is a necessary evil. Evil is uh, too strong a word, but <clears throat> what I mean by that, it's a necessary, it's an, it's a necessary uh, cost to the business, and yet you want to make sure it's done. You know that you minimize the cost of it to maximize your profit, and uh, and so productivity is a really really major factor in that. Okay, number five, consistent with value proposition of the company. I think you've kind of already addressed this one in number one when you were talking about how one person wanted to have very nice 
uh, amenities for their clientele to come and feel comfortable there. And the other person was like, oh, no, I don't want them to think I'm blowing all their money and making too much. So yeah, this I one think is, that's part of it. This one is definitely very similar to that first one. I, I agree with you. Uh, the only thing I would say here is that, um, you know, you, you want to make sure that your value proposition uh, that you give to your clients or your employees or whatever is similar. And so, for example, I would say in the case of um, a, bill, a, a company that is trying to be green and try to be really mm -hmm. environmentally conscious, you know, let's say Greenpeace itself is looking for space. Well, yeah. if Greenpeace went into a building that was not LEEDS certified, yeah. that, would be, that would look very inconsistent with the value proposition. It could also be that, you know, if you're, um, if you're a, um, well, I mean, look at this in retail, you know, we don't do retail, but you know, if you're a high-end fashion designer mm -hmm. and you're in a shopping center with a Kroger <laughs> or even worse, an Aldi, um, right. that's not consistent. You know, you, you, that, that needs to be in a real high-end lifestyle center with a lot of other similar mm -hmm. type of tenants. So it's, you know, same thing. I mean, like if it's a, a bank, I mean, you look at old timey banks, they always had those giant mm -hmm. columns outside, right? Why did they need those giant columns? Well, they didn't, but it reinforced the idea of stability. we're stable. Stability. Yeah, we're stable. We're strong. Mm -hmm. We're never moving. We're never, you know, we're always going to be here. And, and that's consistent with their value proposition. So trust me, I'll be around when you right. need your money. Right. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's similar, but it's a little bit of a nuance as well. So that's why I made that as a separate item. Number six is civic responsibility. You're going to flesh that out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this is this is not one that you hear probably as frequently, but um, civic responsibility is, again, it kind of goes back to, you know, your value proposition or your image. You know, again, it's kind of related to some of the other things. I mean, I could actually argue that all of these things are really similar to each other. But um, when I say civic responsibility, you know, there are times when companies want to be in a certain area uh, because of something that's not immediately obvious. Uh, we had a client once that wanted to be in a, an opportunity zone, a hub zone, hub being historically underutilized business zone, and he wanted to be in a specific um, Texas congressperson's district. Mm. And so we had to overlay all three of those things onto each other to try and figure out where we could put this person, uh, this office for this person. And, um, and it was interesting because um, close to downtown and uptown, there's a street called Maple. So you could be on the west side of Maple and check all three of those boxes, but we could not be on the, on the east side of Maple because we only checked two of the three boxes. So there were political reasons, civic reasons, why this person needed to be so specifically in all of those people's, um, or you know, to check all those boxes, I should say. You know, maybe the, the Congress person had been instrumental in the funding of this organization, because this was a nonprofit organization, I should have mentioned. Um, you know, being in, because of who they serve, they need to be consistent and be in an opportunity zone. Sometimes you want to be in an opportunity zone or a hub zone 
because of the, the benefits that that uh, inures to the company. Uh, we had a client once that was a um, airplane parts distributor. So if you needed um, the backs of seats for a 707 jetliner, um, you'd go to these people and say, I need 500 of those things. And they'd go find them for you and deliver them to you. Well, it was not only a women-owned business, but it was a Native American-owned business and a hub-certified business. So they needed to be in a building that was, again, checking all those boxes. And, uh, and they got certain tax benefits as a result of mm. doing that. And they also got the, the ability to do business with governmental agencies and companies that did business with governmental agencies like the defense contractors that they wouldn't have been able to do if it weren't for those, all those things. So, you know, is that civic responsibility or is that civic opportunity? <laughs> it's kind of both, right? Um, but all those things kind of come into play. But, you know, here we're very active in our town of Plano, um, which is a suburb north of Dallas with about 300,000 people. And, you know, I served on the Planning and Zoning Commission and uh, for five years. And so we got to know a lot of people that are involved in the city government and other things. And several of our clients have said, I will not ever lease or own property outside of Plano. Mm -hmm. We've also had clients have said the next town north of us is Allen. I'll never have my business outside of Allen. Right. So hey, Lowell. Yeah, they're very loyal because, hey, that's where I'm, I'm really active. That my kids go to those schools. I'm in, involved in, you know, whatever. I want to support them. Yeah. So, so that's what I mean. And I, I think it's kind of a cool thing because you become part of a community and you're a business mm -hmm. owner in that community and you live in that. Well, community. And you're in the chamber of commerce. And yeah. I want to touch back on a point you said about, we had to overlay these three different things to find the place he needed just a shout out for using a tenant rep. <laughs> you might go, you know, space to space calling on your own, but the tools we have at our disposal are incredible. And for you to be able to get everything he wanted in one search is amazing. And that's very difficult to do on your own. So well, again, that's why it's best to use a tenant rep broker. I think you're right. And, and what's interesting about that is that if you, if you did just start calling on the signs in front of buildings saying, Hey, I'm, this is what I'm looking for. Are you this? Are you that? Are you the other? Um, you know, whoever you're talking to in that situation is trying to sell you on coming to the building. Mm -hmm they don't have a fiduciary responsibility to you. Um, they you know, do have one to the landlord. <laughs> to the landlord, yeah, but not to you, the, the mm -hmm. prospective tenant. Uh, whereas our fiduciary is strictly to the tenant and we don't have any loyalty to any one building or any hundred buildings. And uh, you know, it's not, it's not um, unusual when we start a search for a client that when we search the, the area, uh, just to kind of see how many buildings were there, there could easily be 100, 200 buildings in the same area, maybe even more, that could potentially fulfill the needs of that client. So our job is to kind of filter through all those things to try and figure out the ones that really fit, mm -hmm. not try to sell a tenant on one individual or group right. of buildings. I agree. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. As always, we'd like to give a shout out to our friends at Riata Commercial Realty, Inc., where they only represent tenants, which is what our podcast is all about.
we only represent users. Uh, some, well, many of them, most of whom are tenants. Uh, some of them are owners because they buy instead of lease, but that's all right. But users and yeah, tenant rep is kind of the shorthand, but corporate real estate advisors is sort of a better, better term. And for us, RIATA is an acronym that stands for real estate advisors and tenant advocates. So that's kind of what we talk about and do every day. You can find us at texastenantrep.com or call us at 972-677-0028. Thank you for your time and rapt attention. See you next time. Bye.